This, this is the Second Second Story Podcast. Welcome back to the Second Story Podcast. I'm Max Spitz. Vacations, especially those with family, always carry with them a certain pressure. When taking the time and spending the money to travel, it becomes very important to enjoy oneself. It wasn't until very recently that I started planning and going on vacations that didn't involve my parents. So I'm still coming to understand the amount of effort it takes to plan and execute a successful trip. In this week's story, teller Rob Constantine shares one particular trip from his childhood in which the prospect of disaster led to an incredibly memorable triumph. Recorded live in December 2021, Second Story is proud to present Miracle Off Ice. While most families were tearing through wrapping paper, mine spent Christmas morning 1983 tearing through the Indianapolis airport. Dad and my 11-year-old jock brother spearheaded the charge to our gate sporting tomato red coats embroidered with Indy Racers youth hockey on the back and the letter C on the front. Captain for my brother, coach for dad. Mom and my chubby 11-year-old self pranced behind in purple parkas we'd purchased especially for the trip. Before passing the point of no return, mom marshaled us into a line and grilled us from biggest to smallest. Got the passports and plane tickets, honey? My burly six foot five inch tall dad pulled out a wad of documents. All present and accounted for, and then he saluted. Then she turned to my brother. Got your hockey notebook, honey? He turned to his backpack and pulled out the top secret hockey playbook dad had conjured up for the trip. Aye, aye, Captain. I'm golden, Mom. Lastly, she turned to me. Robbie, got your musicals, honey. I pawed through my backpack and spotted my Walkman and Broadway soundtracks of Annie and Gypsy. Affirmative, Mom. What about you? She dug into her carry-on and pulled out a Helsinki travel book and the latest Danielle Steele. Okay, guys, she said, ready or not, Finland, here we Constantines come. We joined the brigade of red-coated indie racer players and parents lined up at the gate, anxious to embark and eager to represent the United States of America at the Youth Hockey World Cup in Finland. As we shuffled to our seats, we paid our respects to the only members of the Hoosier hockey delegation stationed in first class, Mr. Frank Rogan and his son. A wealthy five foot tall William Shatner doppelganger with a massive toupee and a Napoleon complex to match, Mr. Rogan was living proof that hockey fathers and stage mothers are two sides of the same coin. By ruthlessly working his connections at the U.S. Hockey Association, Mr. Rogan was the bigwig who twisted arms and called in favors to garner the state champion Indy Racers an invitation to compete on the world stage. Still swept up in a swell of Miracle on Ice pride from Lake Placid in 1980, the Youth Hockey World Cup was a mini Olympic wet dream for the teenage players and their hockey dads. So as we inched through first class to get to steerage, Mr. Rogan held court in his oversized throne, smiling and shaking hands with a self-righteous air of kiss the ring delight. 
During the flights, the Constantine sat two by two, like always. Dad and my brother in one row, shooting the shit about hockey, and mom and me in the row behind, chit-chatting about musicals. Mom was my soulmate, and I wouldn't have traded her for anything. But the impenetrable bond between dad and my brother gnawed at me. I, I never dared let on. I figured any sign of hurt or jealousy would only widen the chasm between us. And over time, my deny and deflect, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, defense mechanism had toughened into an emotional callus that was easier for me to avoid than address. What seemed easier for dad to avoid than address was me. My love of musical theater anointed me as the enigmatic, effeminate son from Venus he had to father, not the hockey prodigy from Mars he wanted to. I know dad loved me, but I wasn't so sure he liked me. My rule for this hockey trip and every hockey trip was clear. Odd man out in the back seat. Having mastered the passive aggressive arts when it came to dad and hockey, I took out my Walkman during the flight across the Atlantic and intermittently cranked Annie's, it's a hard knock life, just to stew in my envy of dad and my brother's exclusionary twosomeness. The first game of the tournament in Helsinki pitted the Indy Racers against Finland. As the teams warmed up, my brother skated with the power and dexterity of Mike Arruzzioni, Team USA's captain in Lake Placid, and dad paced behind the bench with the steely confidence of Team USA's fabled coach, Herb Brooks. Up in the stands with mom, I sneered at the machismo on full display in the rink below and warmed up my clenched jaw, grin, and Barrett reaction to their impending victory by listening to and reminding myself that you're never fully dressed without a smile. But then the lights lowered, spotlights flipped on, flags descended, anthems blared. Lured in by the pregame pageantry, I had this inexplicable urge to join in the festivities by vaulting over the plexiglass and belting out Lee Greenwood's God Bless the USA from Center Ice with confetti cannons punctuating the final. And I gladly stand up, boom. By the teams, by the time the team circled into position to face off, I was teetering on the edge of my seat, rooting for the Indy Racers to stick it to the fins. Once the players were motionless, the breath dropped the puck. It glided to the stick of a Finnish player, then across the ice to another Finnish player, then another, then another, and then Finland scored. Two minutes later, Finland scored. A minute later, Finland scored. And so it went for three punishing periods. The game's final tally, Finland, 19. Indy Racers, zero. Back at the hotel, my brother corralled his teammates into a room for a post-mortem of the game. And dad herded the parents into his and mom's room for a post-mortem of Mr. Frank Rogan. 
I hid in their bathroom, biding my time on the edge of the bidet, ears as big as megaphones, so I would not miss a word. The parents let loose on Mr. Rogan. What the hell are you thinking, Frank? These are national teams. As the mutiny magnified, dad stepped in. Yes, we are fucked. American assholes on ice. But we need to stay calm. Our boys, they're going to take their cues from us. We got to stand tall. Eat our shit sandwiches, courtesy of you, Frank, with a smile. We can make this trip a success, but only if we take a two tears in a bucket, motherfuck it approach. Our focus cannot be on winning. It's got to be about having goddamn fun. Dad was right. I mean, the only option was to shift from an Olympic Games to a Goodwill Games mindset. After the parents trickled out of the room, I emerged from the commode. Dad was sitting at the foot of the bed in his sacred tomato red hockey coat. Despondent. I'd never seen him like that before. He slowly, painfully shed his coat. Robbie, hang this up, okay? I quickly buried it in the farthest reaches of the closet. What a fucking disaster. Honey, what am I gonna do? He asked mom. It was the first time I'd seen my dad not invincible. And I just ached for him. Mom walked over, sat next to him, took his hands. Exactly what you said, honey. Have the time of your life. Two tears in a bucket. Never a fan of the F-bomb. She let the phrase linger. I sensed an opening and picked up where she left off. Motherfuck it, Dad. If anyone can do this, you can. It would have been the perfect setup to boost his confidence by breaking into Gypsy's rousing Act 1 finale. Everything's coming up roses for me and for you. But instead, I just tackled him with a bear hug. And as I squeezed him, I told him, I love you, Dad, and I believe in you. When I finally tried to pull away, he held on and wouldn't let go. The other teams continued to make mincemeat out of the Indy Racers on the ice. Sweden, 17. Indy Racers, zero. Japan, 20. Indy Racers, zero. Soviet Union, 23. Indy Racers, one. When Matt Puck hit the back of the Russian's net, you would have thought we'd won the entire tournament. Dad cleared the bench. The team piled on the player who scored. Mom and I went nuts. That single goal turned out to be the Indy Racers' miracle on ice. But it was Dad's ingenious idea off the ice that changed the entire trajectory of the trip. Being crowned the tournament's champion wasn't possible, so 
he focused on something that was being crowned Miss Congeniality. He extended invitations to the other teams to join us for excursions across the city. Titan Hockey Stick Factory with the Japanese, Helsinki Olympic Stadium with the Germans, glass blowing workshop with the Czechs, breaking through language barriers with his larger than life personality, dad emerged as the Mayor McCheese of the tournament. And by modeling their behavior off dads, the Indy Racers became the World Cup's Jamaican bobsled team. Bearing witness to dad turn water into wine for the sake of my brother and his teammates made me just bitter and just more isolated than ever. So instead of joining dad and the guys every night as they socialize with the other teams in the lobby, I'd opt to cloister up in the hotel room with mom. You sure, Robbie? Dad would ask. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> I'm tired. Just really tired. My nose growing as I beeline to the elevator. Mom would dive into Danielle Steele and I'd don my Walkman and do interpretive dances to my go-to anthem whenever I needed a dose of aggressive optimism. Tomorrow, tomorrow, I love ya, tomorrow. But on New Year's Eve, Dad insisted Mom and I joined the celebration downstairs. The place was packed, and not just with the who's who of world youth hockey. A jazz pianist was tinkling the ivories and drew a big crowd. And when the musician discovered Americans in the audience, he serenaded us with a few bars of Liza Minnelli and Frank Sinatra's iconic New York, New York, a song that I happened to love to belt out and shower at home. A light bulb of inclusivity went off in dad's sleepily, slightly inebriated brain. He jumped to his feet and voluntold me to sing along. He started chanting, Robbie, Robbie. Others joined in. And then before I knew it, he was snaking me through the crowd and then there I was on stage, thrust into the spotlight, looking out at a mob of Finnish jazz aficionados and the United Nations General Assembly of Teenage Hockey Studs. I wanted to die. I mean, I'd sung a solo in the holiday concert at school, but I'd never performed for an audience remotely like this before. The pianist garbled some Finnish gobbledygook into the mic and then the audience burst out laughing. And then he handed me the mic. My cheeks heated up when the intro began. I was furious at dad for morphing from a hockey dad into a stage mother, shoving me into the limelight, just like Mr. Rogan did with the Indy Racers. The crowd fell completely silent. I just prayed the first set of lyrics wouldn't roll off my tongue in the form of projectile vomit. Start spreading the news. I'm leaving today. I sensed the audience was preparing to witness a theatrical belly flop of epic proportion. 
I scanned the crowd for my lifeline bomb, but I couldn't spot her. I wanted to abort, 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 but I was trapped. These vagabond shoes are longing to stray. Right then, I spotted Dad crouching on the floor, holding his camera with a NASA-sized telephoto lens, snapshotting my demise. I looked down to him, desperate, drowning. He, he was all I had to grab onto. I wanna wake up in a city that doesn't sleep to find I'm king of the hill top of the heap as dad zoomed in he got more than just a close-up of me he got a close-up of what was going on inside me he could see i was sinking and i needed his help he instructed me to look him in the eye pumped his fist with you the man two tears in a bucket motherfucking inspiration I'd seen him flash that look at my brother a million times, but never at me. So this is how it feels. My little town blues are melting away. I'll make a brand new start of it in old new york if i can make it there i'll make it anywhere it's up to you new york new york i wasn't sure what was happening but i was loosening up, leaning into the song with some moxie, and it felt good. And that's when I made an executive decision. What I made of the remainder of the song was not up to New York, New York. It was up to M-E-M-E. -E. Fuck it in a bucket. I was gonna sing my Midwestern girly boy pre-gay heart out. New York, New York, I want to wake up in a city that never sleeps and find I'm a number one, top of the list, king of the hill, a number one. The crowd fell silent not because I was belly flopping, but because I was soaring. And I was gonna show them just how high I could fly. Liza, be damned. Frank, fuck you. This was my song, my Olympic gold moment. I may have been singing in a Helsinki hotel bar with a Finnish pianist, but in my mind, I was on stage at Radio City Music Hall with a full orchestra backing me up. My little town blues are melting away. 
make a brand new start of it in old New York and if I can make it there I'll make it anywhere I shored up my stance for the big finale come on come through New York New York When my vibrato kicked in on that final note I closed my eyes and soaked in the sound resonating in that pitch perfect spot. And when I finished, I opened my eyes and looked out in the audience and saw dad. Tears sparkling in his eyes. Pride emanating from the depth of his soul. And in front of everyone in that room, he jumped on stage and gave me a bear hug for the record books. And when he tried to pull away, it was my turn to be the one who held on and wouldn't let go. It was a miracle. My miracle off ice. This story was produced by Lauren Peters, curated by Amanda Delheimer, and directed by Lexi Saunders. The Second Story podcast is produced by Max Spitz. Second Story is located in the traditional homelands of the Council of the Three Fires, the Odawa, Ojibwe, and Potawatomi Nations. Our programming is made possible by the MacArthur Fund for Arts and Culture at the Richard H. Driehaus Foundation, the Paul M. Angel Family Foundation, the Gaylord and Dorothy Donnelly Foundation, Illinois Arts Council Agency, Innovation 80, the Lupo Family, Eric Rothstein and Gina Wamek, Athene Karras and Thomas Applegate, James Lupo, Jessica Wetmore, Jeffrey and Joan Goldwater, Katie and Peter Hauser, and many generous individuals like you. I'm Max Spitz, and this, this is, is the Second, Second Story Podcast.